Hello and welcome back to our podcast, the final episode, the final discussion, the final installment on Deuteronomy. Uh, final only because uh, the Seventh Adventist Church in its wisdom has decreed that all Bible study should occur in 13-week blocks. Uh, not final in the sense that we've exhausted the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I've been very pleasantly surprised at how many interesting and surprising things there are in the book. And uh, we were just saying before we started recording that that we could see another couple of weeks worth of discussion at least here. And even then, we're, we're not dealing exhaustively with the book. But uh, we'll we'll try and do a quick summary. Uh, so glad that you have have joined us. My name's Cameron. Yeah, g'day. Ken here. And uh, look, I want to just echo what Cameron said and add this. Having read Deuteronomy, it helps to make sense of a lot of other stories in the Bible. Um, it provides the cultural context for lots of things that we've heard about. For me, that came out in a really interesting and, I thought, exciting way in the uh, story of Josiah and the rediscovery of the uh, uh, the Book of the Law um, next to the Ark of the Covenant, I assume, uh, based on the references in Deuteronomy, uh, and all of the other fascinating connections between Josiah and Deuteronomy. Hmm. I'm Luke, and I, I can't add much more to what Ken said and Cam said, except to say that I agree with it completely. And I'm Lachlan, and I'm also a little sad that we're going to move on from Deuteronomy. It's been a real blast, and all the more so because I think we started the, the season with only medium expectations of how much, how rich the book of Deuteronomy might be. As a generous assessment. Yeah. Medium. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the death of Moses. And uh, I, I can't pretend to have had a very close uh, near-death experience, but I, I got a little nearer to death today than I, than I normally prefer being. I um, was taking off an aircraft and we had uh, engine failure about 15 seconds after takeoff. And I was able to watch the flight instructor who was in the plane with me uh, doing some very first-class airmanship and piloting and decision-making and uh, land the plane safely in a paddock. So that was that was a very interesting experience to be part of. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here with us, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now... Moses dies in this. Yeah, very, very glad. Yeah. In case anyone interpreted that awkward silence that we're going to edit <laughs> out as a disagreement with what Lachlan said. Uh, <laughs> uh, this chapter deals with the death of Moses, and uh, we've already commented uh, that earlier in the book there's there's some encounters, particularly where it, um, the first couple of chapters where it talks about why Moses wasn't allowed in the Promised Land. We thought there might have been some editorial privilege taken in the way some of the stories were retold. Uh, and this chapter certainly does seem to suggest that at least some of the book of the Deuteronomy was not written by Moses. Well, you have to imagine that this chapter of it was Un Unless he... Uh... <laughs> It's 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 sort of a, a last will and testament type of thing. And he's he's, <laughs> he's was... dictated his obituary here. All right. Well, look, I, I see that I see the sense in that. Um, permit me, uh, verse ten. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. Well, 
he was a pretty good prophet because if he wrote this chapter, uh, he knew what happened after he died. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to draw um, the, everyone's attention down there to verse uh, 10 and 11, uh, Ken, as well, because, Cam, this fits exactly with what you were saying about the the somewhat almost glowing version of Moses that comes out through a lot of the book of Deuteronomy, you know, in the early chapters. Uh, it's, if anything, slightly revisionist in its um, descriptions of him in a positive light. Here, whoever is writing it is not holding back in their positive regard for Moses. So so it may not, of course, have, doesn't have to be written by Moses. I think it speaks, though, very much to the the esteem and the significance with which the the person of Moses was held in, in culturally and socially. I think we can recognize in our New Testament era that a lot of Christ-like characteristics in in Moses. Yeah, and and the, the reason why Moses is revered is. Is not um, only for his personal qualities. Uh, it's because he happened to be there at such a significant time for the nation of Israel. So in verse uh, 10, 11, 12, um, Moses did these amazing wonders uh, to Pharaoh and all his officials and his whole land. So the event that's happening here is the birth of the nation. This is where the nation of Israel begins to exist as a nation. And Moses mm. was the instrument that was chosen uh, for that time. In many ways, the celebration of Moses as a particularly special prophet is a way of them um, reasserting their identity as a very special people. Uh, legitimately uh, so. Um, mm. and, and Moses has that special space. It's when something completely new be- began to happen. And um, yeah. the nation of Israel was, as it were, born again. Um Created it had sort of been there in Egypt, but now it was made new, um, and mm. and in that I think we see some sort of thematic ties to to how we regard Christ as a Christian, uh, yeah, communi- uh, community. On the question of authorship of the last chapter, um, it seems to me that it ought not be thought strange that the last chapter. Uh, dealing with the death of Moses and, if you like, uh, a summary uh, of his life um, would would be there uh, and authored by somebody else. We often see that uh, uh, in modern day uh, writing, uh, more often perhaps as an, as an introduction to, but I'm reading at the moment, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. Uh, one of the classics, and there's always a, there's all there's an introduction there about who he was and a little sketch of his life. Hmm. Um, I've, I've been reading Augustine's Confessions. It's it's been a time of classics for me. Um, <laughs> and again, I mean that's translated, and there's a note from the translator about you know this is who he was, and this is when he lived, and you know these were the cultural um, uh, uh, co- the cultural context of his time and. Uh, so it helps to put the book in its place. And uh, I think Cameron, looking at this as a bit of a summary of the contribution of Moses to the birth of the Israelite nation, mm. uh, is, is perhaps a helpful way of seeing seeing it. 
as you say that, Ken, it's actually one of the things that I find slightly striking in its, in its omission in the New Testament. You know, the book of Acts is in many ways the story of Paul, and it ends before Paul dies. Mm. Uh, it's, it feels like an unresolved narrative for, you know, in a historical sort of sense. Um, John writes Revelation, and that's where the Bible ends, but that's obviously not recording the death of John. Um, Peter, obviously some some disciples do die in the New Testament. So, okay, it's not it's not utterly without some of that. But yeah, the the because a lot of the New Testament is epistles written by the apostles, yeah. then then it's clearly, of course, not containing the stories of their own demise. It puzzles me a little that um, that people are inclined to get upset if you suggest uh, not all people. I've heard people get upset at the concept of multiple authorship for Bible books and. There are other conundrums that are uh, worth pointing out. So in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, when David faces Goliath, um, Saul says to um, his commander, who is this young man? And whose son is he? Oh, well, that's David, the son of Jesse. Um, in the narrative as it's written, David's already been met Saul and lived in his court and had interactions um, mm. And and the easiest way to make sense of that passage, I encourage our listeners to go and read the stories either side of David and Goliath and have a look at the the how much Saul knows about David, um, because it doesn't make sense. Um, and the easiest thing to say is that uh, when the stories were collated, they collated stories. They would have been orally handed down stories unless David wrote them down himself, which I guess is possible. But even then, if I write down stories at the end of my life of things that happened in my teens, it's quite possible that uh, elements of chronology may be unclear. It's possible multiple authors contributed to put the book together. There's lots of possibilities, but I don't see why they ought frighten us in any way. If the Holy Spirit is capable of inspiring authors, he is surely also capable of inspiring editors. Well, in, indeed, and, and no, nobody argues... And readers. And readers, well, we hope no, no, so, Nobody, nobody yeah. as far as I know, asserts that different books of the Bible were not written by different people, mm. right? Nobody says Genesis and Revelation were written by the same person, as far as I know. Mm. Um, so why should it be a problem if some parts of Genesis and other parts of Genesis were written by different people? It, it does not contradict the concept of divine inspiration in any way. Yeah. Mm. And the, the lesson to take home from that is, if it is possible that sometimes uh, stories can be seen in different light and there is examples, you know, where stories are told in Kings and Chronicles with different emphasis and some of them quite startling differences in interpretation of, of the same event, Um if it is possible for us to grow in our understanding of what God's done, uh, and then as Adventist Church we believe in present truth, um, then it it opens you know a, a, Pandora, a Pandora's box. That's what I was going to say, but that's perhaps a little uh, negatively overtoned. But it opens you know the possibility that there may there may be some things that that we believe to be inspired, which may well have been inspired, but may yet uh, be awaiting further inspiration, either in interpretation or in commentary or in understanding. Or mm. So there's an interesting element to this that we should explore um, just very briefly, because 
We have introduced this discussion as being about the death of Moses. That's what's recorded in Deuteronomy 34. But the Sabbath school pamphlet describes the topic as being the resurrection of Moses. And this is perhaps not too surprising because Moses is one of the ancient fathers who features in the transfiguration mm. uh, in that story with Jesus on the, on the mount. And I don't think I had previously, re- I'd probably read it, but I hadn't, I hadn't remembered. This is actually mentioned in the epistle of Jude, that smallest almost of the letters in the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. Um, and the, the book is very short, but here it is in, in uh, so picking up a little bit, Jude 5. Um, now I desire to remind you, though you are fully informed, that the Lord, who once for all saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So there's an anchoring at this point in, in the letter by putting the context of the Exodus as being primal. And um, down a little bit further in verse 8. Yet in the same way these dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And I think this is really interesting. This is, this is recounting something that is not in Deuteronomy. It's, it's, account, it's, it's an account that brings vivid imagery of the archangel Michael disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. And we can imagine all sorts of things, but it's pretty obvious to me that there was a cultural... You know, I mentioned that, that the New Testament doesn't contain the story of, of Peter's death or of Paul's death or of John's death, but, but we have in our Christian tradition... Uh, narratives and understandings of of how some of these apostles uh, died. It's very obvious that the that the Israelites had a narrative, a cultural narrative uh, about Moses. I'm on Wikipedia. It, it's called the Assumption yeah. of Moses, otherwise called the Testament of Moses. Is a first century Jewish uh, apocryphal pseudepigraphical work. What's a pseudepigraphical? Pseudepigraphal. Pseudepigraphal. Yeah. What's pseudepigraphal? Um, falsely attributed works. Yeah. So there are there are a lot of there are a lot of writings around this time, and this is where you'll need to defer to Clancy. She studied this in her masters of early Christian and Jewish studies. Mm. There are a lot of writings. There's a whole genre, basically, a style of writing where you attribute. The, you claim the author to be Daniel, or um, uh, there's there's a there's a one of the books is called the Acts of Paul and Thecla, um, and and there's another one. There's Gospels of many different people, um, and it's not a it's not an attempt to be dishonest. It's it's an attempt to say I am. It's almost like fan fiction today, where someone says I what I'm I'm so I so like. Uh, the Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, for example, that I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write, I'm going to imagine and write uh, an extra story that might happen in Middle Earth. I was going to say, and, look, a, a more contemporary comparison might be Plato and Socrates. Right. Or, right. or or it might be something like historical fiction. 
like yeah. like the work of Wolf Hall, where you so, go back to Cromwell and you imagine yourself as Cromwell and, mm. and how he would have thought and acted. So right. ju- just so, to be clear, look the the intended readership or listenership of this sort of writing would know that it's not actually Daniel, for example. I believe so. Yes, I be- I um. I I mean Clancy's going to probably listen to this episode because I'll ask her to, and then then I'll I'll be able to judge how right I got this by by what sorts of sounds of of agreement or or despair come from her mouth as she's listening. We look forward to your retractions next week. Then, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But the the body I have heard the body uh, a body of literature referred to as the pseudepigrapha. Right. Um. Yeah. What a word. Ah, now, I forgot to say this in the introduction. For our listeners, we are approaching the holiday season, and uh, even as we are running out of time for discussing Deuteronomy according to the Lesson Quarterly, uh, each of us is independently running out of time to edit podcasts, as I know uh, we're all pretty busy and over the Christmas with family coming to visit and everything else. So so we are uh, going to do a, a batch recording now of some smaller episodes to, to space them out. And uh, there's a lot more we can say about Deuteronomy. Um, but I think we should, as quick as we can, uh, circle the group and... Uh, quick summary, what was the thing that has struck you most from the, the book of Deuteronomy? Um, after this, we'll wrap up this episode and, and leave all the exciting, unexplored details to you uh, for you to, to explore on your own. And uh, then we'll move on to recording the episode for you, which will be released next week. We do hope that you will listen in over the Christmas period, but we, we know uh, that often many people have, have interrupted schedules and uh, and if that's the case, that's the case. You'll have to join us again next year. Ken, what was what was your thing that you liked most from Deuteronomy? Uh, look, I referred to it at the outset. Um, the uh, context it provided for the story of Josiah. Look. Yeah, what struck me the most about some of the things we've explored through this season is the way that I'd always thought of Deuteronomy as being this pretty harsh book of laws and curses and you must do this or else you're going to get a smack um and yet we discovered that even within a few generations almost instantaneously the there was a need to interpret to to grapple with the way some of these laws worked we i was most delighted by our exploration of the 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 half tribe of Manasseh building an altar on the other side of the Jordan mm. directly against it seemed and in a, a clear instruction from Deuteronomy and yet being able to articulate why they'd done it and then being, being referred to as, um, you know, indeed doing the right thing and, and, and being righteous. I think that that is a beautiful and yet extremely challenging idea. It suggests that we, if we're going to be followers of the book of Deuteronomy, um, might actually be called upon to do more than just blindly apply Deuteronom- Deuteronomical 
laws as we read them off the page straight into our world. Yeah. Luke? Uh, very similar to Locke, um, and that is also my favourite story of the book. My perception of Deuteronomy has completely changed. It may be my favourite Old Testament book at this point. Mm. And th the reason for it is that you see in Deuteronomy this genuinely sophisticated and groundbreaking attempt at creating a new type of society completely different from all of the societies that surrounded them in its structure, in the in its level of, of fairness and justice and equality, um, in its laws, some of which by modern standards, we, we definitely would, would find troublesome, but a lot of them would fit right in with, with modern Western concepts of a fair and just society. Um, and I, I see in Deuteronomy for the first time reading it now, how incredibly exciting it must have been to participate in that time of nation building when they were doing something new and, and innovative and and wonderful before God. I'd never thought of it, Luke, but um, in that way. But, you know, when you hear Americans talk so excitedly about their constitution and about the, the event that it was when the founding fathers got together and they wrote the document and they came out and the people said, what do we have? Do we have a republic or a monarchy? And... Um, and uh, a republic, if you can keep it. And there's all these great stories that the Americans really treasure about about how that exciting process of, of invention. And, yeah, I hadn't thought of Deuteronomy in that way. But, you know, in, and what's contained in Deuteronomy is so different from contemporary societal structures that I think it really does lend legitimacy to its and inspiration. That is a fantastic comparison if you say Deuteronomy is like the constitution of the Jewish nation and that lends so much more impact I think to your favorite part of the book Ken where it's is it Josiah mm. Mm -hmm. yeah Josiah imagine the US constitution to be lost and completely forgotten and then yeah. it is rediscovered mm. you know by some yeah. by some hero <laughs> that's a I think it's an incredibly powerful narrative. Yeah. 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 But but it it really is can can you imagine uh, just just bring that to bring that into that context it's lost and then it's found and and mm. we start saying oh so we were actually meant to be doing this. Here's what mm. we're doing, but look what the Constitution said we should have been doing. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, let, let's let's get back to that. That's that's really the core of who we are. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. If um, if I, I'm going to find it hard to summarize, but if I could summarize a sentiment from Deuteronomy, um, would be the the sentiment um, to step neither to the left nor to the right and to seek God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. Oh no! It's heart, mind, and uh, which is that? Ken, you talked about this. It, it's it's retold Th differently. There's four that crop up, and they're in different orders and different combinations. Yeah, different heart, ones. mind, soul, and strength. Soul and strength. And yes. the picture that I get is not so much of a god standing up there with arms crossed, saying, "All right, well, this is these are the rules, and if you don't take the rules, I'm going to zap you." I, I you do get the sense of a of God pleading with the nation of Israel to to create a society that works and where people are looked after. 
and where the, including the foreigner and the alien and the widow and where the rule of law is upheld mm. and where you know everyone is respected and if only you can do this um your life will be so much better is is the sense that i get um there's a lunig cartoon and the cartoon is simply of two people kissing and the caption reads uh love each other and you will be happy it's as simple and as difficult as that yeah and i th- mm. i think mm. i think that if you take that not uh, so much romantic love necessarily but love and uh, genuine care um taken over people in our society including the most vulnerable um i think that that might be one possible summary of the book of Deuteronomy. God saying to this nation of Israel, if you if you can find a way to love each other, um, then you will be happy. It's as simple and as difficult as that. And I think um, hmm. Deuteronomy talks about the the difficulties as much as what makes it simple. Uh, we will leave it there. That's given us a smaller episode. Uh, Please uh, write to us with all the comments of interesting ideas that we have not said. You can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and please share this podcast with anyone who you feel might enjoy it. Uh, Our our listenership is uh, steady and uh, we enjoy doing these discussions whether they're recorded or not. We it also costs us nothing to send the, to have more people download the podcast than less. So if you know anyone who who would benefit from it, please share it with them and uh, join us again next week uh, for another smaller holiday special episode.